friends. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, where we talk about the intersections of queerness, transness, and childhood. I am your host, Linz Amer. This week is the week of Juneteenth, and we are celebrating by raising up Black trans voices. And today I am chatting with Morgan Givens. Morgan is a storyteller, writer, performer, and audio producer. And when I tell you that he is just a beautiful, beautiful storyteller, I really, really highly recommend that you look up some of his storytelling on YouTube. He, We talk about it a lot in our conversation, but I'm so excited to introduce you to his work. He's also probably a producer behind some of your favorite podcasts that you didn't know about. Morgan and I talk about a lot of things, but one of my favorite things that we chat about is his podcast for kids called The Flyest Fables. If you've got young ones who love podcasts, this one is perfect. It's an interconnected fictional anthology, and there's princesses and quests to save people and kingdoms. It's really, really well done, too, so I think adults will appreciate it while they listen along with their young ones. Before we get there, just a few things I want to tell you about. So you can obviously grab your copy of Rainbow Parenting wherever books are sold. I am still on tour. I am doing a few events in New York City this weekend. Coming up, I believe, on Saturday, this Saturday, uh, I'm doing two performances for families at the Children's Museum of Manhattan. So come hang out with me and Teddy if you're around there this weekend. I hope everybody has an incredibly joyful and safe pride this weekend. If you are not in a city where I've been touring this month, then you are still in luck. I am putting on a big virtual pride bash for the whole family. I've got an incredible lineup of children's musicians who are queer and trans and some of our very favorite allies. And you can join us for that performance via Zoom. All you got to do is register and grab a ticket. The lineup is... I'm so proud of this lineup. We've got the Alphabet Rockers, who are Grammy Award winners. We've got Jules from Songs for Littles. We've got Ants on a Log, Banana Band, Strawberry Ops, Carrie Ferguson, who just came out with a cool new pronoun song, Laser the Boy, infamous from The Double Clicks. Miss Katie Sings is going to join us. It's going to be an absolute blast. That's going to be on Wednesday, June 28th. 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific time. If you can't make that time, you should grab a ticket anyways, because anybody who has a ticket and is registered is going to have exclusive access to the recording, so you can watch it whenever you want. Just head over to the link in our bio on all of our social medias, or you can head to queerkidstuff.com slash live to get your ticket. Oh, and last thing, the cover of my picture book that's coming out fall of 2024 is up on my Instagram. It is beautiful. Hooray for she, he, ze, and they. What are your pronouns today? Illustrated by Kip Alizade. And it is officially available for pre-order. I didn't even know that that was true. And then my proof came in the mail, which was, oh my gosh, it is so cool to hold in my hands. I'm so excited for it to be out in the world next year. You can pre-order your copy wherever you like to get books. It is a perfect companion for your kiddo to Rainbow Parenting. So I hope you check that out. Lots, lots more to come on that picture book. All right, I think that's it. Let's get to my conversation with Morgan Givens. All 
Bright Rainbow Parenting fam. I am here today with Morgan Givens. Hello and welcome to the pod. Hey, 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 hey. What's up? Glad to be here. Very glad to be here. Amazing. I have before we get into all of it, um, I just mm-hmm. have to say that you have a beautiful podcast voice. <laughs> and <laughs> <you>. if anything, <laughs> for listeners, I hope that you will just enjoy this hour of the dulcet tones of Morgan Givens. Um I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, I've, I've worked on I've worked on it I, when I first I'm started sure transitioning I, I was like wait so I, I have to learn how to speak in a different register so I don't mm. strain my vocal well let me get on it then so mm-hmm. there <laughs> you go you. yeah exactly all right so tell the people who you are your pronouns how you identify yeah yeah um, my name is Morgan Givens I am a storyteller, a writer, a performer. My pronouns are he, him, and they. Um, But really, you can call me any pronoun. I'm not going to be pressed about it because at this point in my life, I'm like, I'm just Morgan. So like, Mm. we we cool. As long as it's not somebody being intentionally offensive, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty easy. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, I like to come to this work as like whole, full humans. So how, Mm -hmm. how are you doing today? Well, you know, I'm actually not doing too bad. It's it's my birthday. I'm staring down. I know. Yeah, I'm 37 today. I'm I'm looking at 40 around the hill. Like I guess I have no options. <laughs> but you know, I'm um considering. I I know that there are uh, trans folks. We are everywhere, every generation. Um, but I do feel very fortunate to be you know, growing older as a trans mm. person who is very comfortable in, in myself and and continuing to explore and learn who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes just that existence out loud is helpful for, for others. So, um, yeah, I just feel very, I feel very lucky. Um, mm. And then sometimes angry that I feel lucky, but um, yeah. I feel good. I feel good today. Today is, is going to be a good day. Mm, <laughs> well, I'm it. really excited that you came out for your birthday. Happy Taurus oh, yeah. season. <laughs> Yo, look, and I am a Taurus through and through. <laughs> Amazing. My sister's a Taurus. I got a lot of Taurus people that I love. It's wonderful. I Well, happy you birthday. Right. Thanks Thank for you. coming on the podcast on your birthday. Of That's course. Awesome. Of course. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Um, Let's get into it. Why don't we? Um, So I wanted to bring you on because there I'm always searching for people Mm -hmm. who are doing cool work, who are trans and queer and are interested in storytelling and making creative work for kids and families and educating. And you do kind of a lot of things and like are I would probably from the research that I did on you and like looking sure. at your work I I think I don't want to put words in your mouth but I want to talk about like how you are kind of like a creative and yeah. especially in the storytelling and audio spaces and like making work for kids is just like a part of that larger landscape and sure, yeah. that's honestly like kind of a rare thing I've found <laughs> um, and I want to like talk about that a little bit but before let's I, I want to hear about like your work and like your yeah. how you've come to your creative life and, and especially through a trans lens oh yeah I um I, I think I ended up doing what I was supposed to be doing mm. long ago but um not really listening to myself, not being confident in, in my skills. And I still struggle with that confidence. I'm like, is yeah. it good? I don't know. I think it's bad. You know, so, um, but I, I've been a writer 
since I could hold a pencil, mm. you know, and this is back when we had those giant yellow pencils and they would teach you how to write in kindergarten and things like that. And I've been a reader my whole life. Um, my mom tells me stories about how she would read to me in the womb. And I'm like, I don't know the science behind that, but sure, we can pretend it started that early, you yeah. know, but, um, you know, there, there was a time when I was a small child and my mom, you know, we didn't have a ton of money growing up, but we had library cards. And if I couldn't have anything else, my mom made sure I had books. And mm. one day she told me when I was very, very young, she's like, well, Morgan, you can go anywhere. You mm. can go anywhere in a book. And I was like, I can go anywhere in a book. What? You know, as a kid, I'm like, that's, in, that's incredible. I want to go everywhere. And mm. so she really kind of fed that, that love of creativity in me. Um, and my younger brother is a storyteller as well. He's a different type. He's, mm. he's more of a comedian. Like I can be funny, but my mm -hmm. brother has that dry humor. So I kind of grew up in a family of folks who have been storytellers without, I don't think, recognizing that's what we were. Um, and the way that we communicated with each other. I've, I've spoken about my mom really embodying people when mm -hmm. she would meet them and come home to tell us the stories about them. And suddenly she was like, a, she was like acting. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like a play in my living room. And I think mm -hmm. I picked up some of that from her. Um, but I, I took a bit of a circuitous route to this. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I used to work at Target when I graduated from college back yeah. in the hots of 2010, you know, a whole decade ago now, mm -hmm. um, while figuring out what I wanted to do and became a police officer in Washington, D.C. because mm -hmm. my grandmother was a cop. And I was like, oh, cool, I can mm -hmm. do this. And the whole time, my creativity is is kind of shriveling a bit on the vine in, in this work that I was doing in policing. Um, and then I did work in the nonprofit sector. And I could just feel, even though I felt the work was important, what we did was important. I could feel a part of me just continuing to kind of shrink. And I think it was the, the kid part of me that was like, you're a creative, mm. you are a storyteller, you create worlds. What are you, what are you doing? This is yeah. not, um, this does not align with who you are as, as at your core. And mm. I think I had to figure out how to be a creative and not starve, <laughs> yeah. which is where I kind of am now. And so sometimes that means I, I'm on projects that I don't find the most interesting, but they give me the space to work on the things that I really, truly, deeply, mm. deeply care about. So it took me a while to get here, but you know, I've done storytelling on stage um, on a whim. That was an accident. Mm. I, I, I did not mean to get on stage, uh, mm -hmm. but once uh, I was there and they were like, yeah, the crowd is sold out. They're going to be like 900 people. I'm like 900 people doing what? <laughs> like looking at <laughs> you. listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was a bit of a revelation. And I, I mm. think I realized um, more how how words can reach people because I mm. saw it in that moment. I saw them reacting. And it it reminded me that I can tell stories despite people not understanding them, mm. not knowing why they need to exist in the way I think they do. And I don't have to wait for someone else's yes to create mm. the things I find important. And I think that that moment on stage was for sure a catalyst for me in that way. Mm, I love that. The things that kind of stood out for me from what you're just talking about were one, the like coming to it late. I think that that mm -hmm. is a pattern with trans people just like generally yes. with like everything in our lives and Absolutely. 
And I think that that being reflected in your creative like self, it, I mean, that's true for me too. Like I knew that I wanted to express myself at a very young age, but didn't know enough about myself in order yep. to like really thrive in that, that makes creativity. Sense. And so I, I feel that. Yeah. Right. And I think that like there's something about self-knowledge that's really important for creatives mm-hmm. and having to take like the extra step and like the time to figure yourself out in order to create in a way that's fulfilling i think Mm -hmm. is you know (laughs) that like delayed adolescence thing yes second puberty Mm -hmm. exactly exactly (laughs) and like just like a understanding when you're coming into yourself because i feel like i really hit have hit my creative stride in like Mm -hmm. my late 20s now early 30s and like you know, after so many, you know, going to theater school and like trying to like knowing and like wanting to learn craft, but like not yeah. knowing how to put myself into it. So I'm hearing a little bit of that from you as no, well. No, that makes sense. Um, I, I completely relate to that. I think part of it is perhaps tied into that confidence that we gain mm. from that self-knowledge, that that centeredness mm-hmm. that allows us to be still enough to to create from from a place of of true authenticity because we mm. we are who we are without wasting. And I don't want to say wasting it, but it, it, it feels like a waste of the brain power. I'm like, I look back and I'm like, I wasted so much brain power mm. trying to make myself conform to these ideals that are not who I am, gender-wise, socially, things of that nature. Yeah. And when I finally got to the point where I was like, I am who I am and it and it will be what it's going to be, mm-hmm. it made it much easier to to tell the types of stories I wanted for myself as a young person, but mm-hmm. the types of stories that I think are very much needed for, for young people today and to be able to tell them in a way that does not condescend to them, that mm. respects them as full humans, um, which is something I sometimes see lacking in the kids space. I'm like, is this yeah. for you? So you can say I made a thing for kids mm. or is it really for kids? And you can tell when you listen, if it's truly for kids or when you yeah. read or when you watch, you're like, this ain't for kids. You, <laughs> like, you, you, you're, you're shoving like the ABCs, you know, yeah. in their faces. But what, what are, what story are you telling them? And, mm. um, yeah, I don't want to, you know, crap on other work, but, I wonder sometimes at work that comes for children, education first only mm-hmm. um, to to the detriment of like helping them explore their internal worlds. Um, yes, I 100 percent agree <laughs> with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is like, you know, the capitalism thing when it comes mm-hmm. to kids, like for sure. They're like, I, what can we hook them on and make money? And it's like, you want to hook kids? <laughs> Yeah. And that's like, you know, YouTube got slapped with COPA, like regulations. Like it's, yeah, there's a lot of ethical stuff in the kids Mm -hmm. space where it's like, are you actually making something that will speak to young people or are you creating a babysitter? Uh, Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do it yeah. right, your babysitter will come out of the creation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, you'll give them something nice to read or listen to, but think of them and and who they are and 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 accept that they again are full people because kids in our society for sure are viewed as accessories more often than not. Um, which yeah. really kind of tampers down on them being able to be their fullest selves. Yes. Um, because we we want them to be who we want them to be, as opposed to 
giving them an outline and allowing them to fill it in with color. I think that's mm. what I like to do. <laughs> yeah, we talk a lot on well, also sorry to listeners, my dog <laughs> is <laughs> not happy about this episode apparently. Mine are calm right now, so right. Good. <laughs> there you go, that's good. Um but yeah, we talk a lot on this podcast about childism and like discrimination against children and just mm-hmm. like you know, not treating young people as like full whole humans who are deserving of respect and have wants and needs of their own and yep. deserve quality creative content as well. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, so you're 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 speaking to exactly <laughs> what we talk about here. It's perfect. Um, before we move on to that, I want to talk more about like your approach to storytelling because I watched mm-hmm. a couple of your. Um, I don't know if they were on the moth or like uh, moth like. Um, yeah, I've done moth. I've done yeah, lo- yeah, yeah. more local stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you've yeah. got some wonderful storytelling um, videos on uh, YouTube and I watched a couple of them and I love the way that your transness is not like necessarily the thing you're talking about Mm -hmm. but it ends up being just like a really beautiful way of coloring your storytelling and like well and and I think like that's what I love like that's what I love about trans people who are creatives and like getting beyond the like you know I am making something about my transness versus, which is not a bad thing either. But like, but like, it's, it's, it's really heartening to me to see stories that are about transness that aren't about transness. I understand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, being trans is, is a part of who I am. Mm. Um, And, I keep that in mind when I tell my stories. I'm like, it is a part of me, but it is not the entirety of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot be myself if I strip that part away, mm-hmm. but it is not all that I am. And so when I tell stories on stage, you know, one of the things I think about when I'm writing a story, when I'm getting on stage to tell a story is, am I telling this to trans people? Am I telling this to my core audience, or am I in some way inadvertently pandering to a cis head audience mm. and, and their expectations of what transness is? Mm-hmm. Am I going to tell the truth of who I am, or am I going or have I found myself telling this story in a way that conforms with what they think they should be hearing? Mm. Uh, and so I, I try to keep that in mind when I, I I write stories. I try to consider you know, in the future, like, am I going to listen to this story in five years and be like, oh no, you know, (laughs) why, why did I tell it that way? Why, why did I perhaps not, what was going on in my life where I didn't have the courage for myself Hmm. to tell the story in a way that allows me to be um, a full person. And, and, you know, part of it is also wanting to perhaps shake down some of those biases that my cishet audience because it's primarily cishet people when you get on that stage um and for a live storytelling event uh to shake down some of the biases that they may have and internally of what they expect a trans person to be or sound like or look like and i know in passing you know folks will look at me and they'll assume i'm a cishet person too Mm -hmm. and so i play with that assumption on stage i play with that fact that they're expecting me to be a cishet person Mm -hmm. um 
because I often talk to folks after and they're like, you were so good. Oh my God, I've never met a trans person. I'm like, well, you would have thought you never met me if I didn't tell you. So just to kind of also point towards this idea that we have been here, that we are here, you have Mm -hmm. met us. You just, just because we didn't tell you in that moment in passing in the grocery store, at the line, wherever, at the bank, that, hey, I'm trans and I'm here to withdraw some money does not mean you do not interact with us on a a regular basis. But I wanted to make sure every time I tell a story that I am talking to other trans people like that. Mm. Is, though, that's my main target audience. Um, and when I make work for young people, I make sure I'm like, I'm talking to young people. Mm-hmm. And then I am putting queer people in my stories, again, without the queerness being the entirety of who these characters are, but a very important part to understanding their journeys as they continue to evolve as people. But also, I think there is power sometimes in creating characters that are allowed to be characters and their transness Mm. is a part of them um, without falling into, again, what cis het stereotypes expect us to write about. Um, And in some ways, you know, I can sit here and go, my work can be a response to the expectations, mm. but I, I want to kind of go beyond those. And, and often, once I get past that, am I accidentally pandering to cishet folks? I, I kind of just let myself go. Once I can say no to that, it, it gives me the freedom to really just tell the story I want to tell, but the transness is integral to that because it changes the way we view the world. It changes the way we think about society. It changes the the things we find important and it changes Mm. um, the lens through which we can tell them. And and if I am brave enough to exist as myself every day in this world, then it it makes me a little fearless sometimes. So even when I get pushed back, I'm like, I ain't scared of you. (laughs) Who are you? Like, do you know what I have lived through? What I have survived? Mm -hmm. What I will have to continue to survive through? Like you... I'm not pressed. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I just I just try to make sure that I am speaking to my target audience and I try mm-hmm. not to forget who that audience is mm-hmm. um, while making sure I'm being honest with myself in the creation. Because I can feel mm-hmm. when I'm, I'm being emotionally stilted in my work and it usually means I have something to work through yeah. and then I can come back to it. And I'm like, oh, well, now that's out of the way. I can pour this into the art. I can pour this here um, without feeling that restriction, if that makes Mm. sense. Yeah, I love the way you're talking about, like, thinking about audience as you're generating work. And I think that, like, I... I'm someone who doesn't do a ton of preaching to the choir, but also I want to be always thinking about a queer and trans audience when it's tough to like it's really tough to straddle those two Mm -hmm. those two audiences and like really toe the line because you know I I think I try to talk to a cis straight audience in a way that hopes one day I can approach them the same way I would approach a queer and trans audience does that make sense I feel like it's it's tough right because we're Man, talking about audience in terms of like creative like endeavors is always hard for me because I always like make from like a very internal place. I don't know if you're like this as well. Mm -hmm. And so like thinking about like the ways that it's going to be. I mean, this is like 
also <laughs> what I go through in my identity is like I'm just yeah. gonna be me and like the way people perceive me is just gonna be the way they perceive me and it's exactly. gonna be the same about my art right so like who <laughs> trying to think about like who's gonna think what about like the book that I'm putting out I'm like this isn't a book for queer and trans people but like maybe they would want to give it to the cishet people in their life to like hopefully <laughs> make their lives easier and get rid of their yeah, yeah. emotional labor like it's, <laughs> it's it's so much sometimes right so like much so much emotional labor yeah, so much emotional labor. But yeah, it's uh I thought that that was really interesting and I'm curious about kind of moving that conversation into building work and building stories for young people yeah. because I I don't know about you, but the the way I like to approach creating and things for young folks yeah. is with an assumption that they won't necessarily turn out to be straight and cisgender themselves and mm -hmm. needing to actually approach all work for kids as a queer and trans audience. I'm yeah. curious about what you think about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that is, I like that idea of because again, I think it goes back to this assumption that folks have that, oh, these kids are going to grow up and they're just going to slot right into what we think they should be societally. We've taught them how to do nothing but follow rules and classes, you know? And so I, I think that is important. And it is something that is in the back of my mind when I'm coming up with who my characters are, mm. you know, like who are they? And then I'll put them in the situations because I know who they are and I can better understand how they will react. And knowing who they are and thinking critically about, oh, how can I represent the growth of self with this character who is going through change, who is genderqueer in a world where that word does not exist? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Yeah. How can I create a world where these young people can fall into it with their imaginations and be like, oh, everything is made up. Like that is that is one of the things I try to get across in all of my art without mm. purposely intentionally saying that. Um, and, and looking at young people when I work and write for them and understanding that I don't want to tell them what to think, what to believe, but I want to show them how to feel. Mm. And I think if I show them how to feel within certain context, with certain ideas, with certain themes undergirding the emotion, that even if they cannot understand the words, they will understand the emotion. And I think the emotion is the part that gets them first because mm -hmm. I, I pay attention to the way I use my voice when I tell stories for young people because mm -hmm. I recognize that there are kids who are four who are not going to know what I'm saying, but they'll hear that swell of emotion in my voice. They can mm -hmm. hear the songs and emotionally connect with the songs, even if they don't understand the themes that are happening, yes. but they're still getting it. It's yes. still going in their brains. They're still absorbing this. They're still understanding what kindness means, what mm -hmm. courage can look like in moments when we think courage is not needed, which mm -hmm. is what I want them to have. I want them to have the courage to question and I want them to have the courage to wonder why things are the way they are and to and to be okay with saying, well, we don't have to do it this way just because this is the way it's always been done. Mm -hmm. um, and and so I, I guess that's kind of how I, I, I picture you know, young people, when I when I work for them, um, in some ways, the same as you, like not all of these kids are going to grow up to be cishet kids. How do we create a world for them to hold within themselves for when that external world gets hard? 
and so I'm I'm often, even when I make work, I am really truly thinking about the kids I know will struggle one day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what can I give them? You know, because sometimes all you have is the hope that a good ending is coming. You know, and for me as a young person, that's all I had for a couple of years. It's like, it can't stay like this. I've read too many books and books are just compilations of other people's lives and other people's interpretations of mm. other people's lives. And I know the world is a cruel and harsh place. And I learned that very early when I didn't want to have to learn it. Yeah. But I also know that there is good and there is goodness out there. But that goodness sometimes has to be fought for. And how do I teach young people to accept that? without discouraging them while also giving them the full range to explore themselves emotionally and know that there's nothing wrong with who they are and that they can still be courageous and funny and sad and mess up. And it's okay, um, if that makes sense. Listeners, I'm so sorry. We usually have a word from one of our sponsors here, but there's a situation developing in the studio. It seems a large otter has somehow made its way in here, and it's now standing next to my desk on their back legs, holding out what appears to be several damp 3x5 index cards. And, okay, the index cards read, Hello and good day. I'm Cherbis. Am I saying that right? Cherbis? Oh, Cherbay? Cherbay. Protector of the waterways, I bring to you news of Nerdy Kepi, a family-owned and trans-operated clothing and home goods company from Portland, Oregon, that makes comfortable and classy pride gear that's subtle, sustaining, and suitable for work, in a variety of pride flags with sizes up to 5XL in most items. You can use coupon code RAINBOWPARENTING for 20% off your first purchase. Nerdy Kepi. Find us at ithaspockets.gay. That's ithaspockets.gay. I loved how you talked about like thinking really purposefully about the way that you use your voice when you mm-hmm. are are doing storytelling for kids. Because I think um, for me that brought up... Um, uh, a little bit of like early childhood music development theory. Yeah. Um. I so I do queer kid stuff, obviously, but uh-huh. I also teach preschool music, which is like oh, not is something so cool. I, which is not something I talk about too much publicly. Um. I'm what? To like, that is like the coolest thing. I mean, but maybe if you're trying to like the transition out of it, you're like, I don't know, but that's so cool. Well, it's like a little bit of like the day job thing, right? Um, I feel you. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Um. I mean, but it's a very fun day job. Um. <laughs> I just like get to like bring my ukulele around and like sing some cute little folk songs for kids it's great um it's very fulfilling and like keeps me in my body and like doing music on a weekly basis it's lovely um and like a lot of stuff that we talk about in kind of like early childhood music development theory is this idea that like you know a kid who's like participating and like singing along with you is like absorbing things probably in a similar way as Mm -hmm. the kid who's sitting under the table who's like turned away from you and like not participating at all or like even wanting to have anything to do with you. (laughs) I have like there's this one kid in this class. This class is great. Like I've got a bunch of people, a a bunch of the kids who sing along and they like tap the rhythm and I've been with them for the past like, you know, school year and there's this one kid who like, you know, it depends on the day if he's going to (laughs) participate in class. But like when he does, when he is in the Mm -hmm. circle with all of us, he is one of the best ones at keeping rhythm and Mm. 
And it's it's all about that absorption and like, you know, they're developing at their own pace in their own way and doing intake yep. on that in the way that makes sense for their brains and their bodies. And mm-hmm. just because they're not expressing it externally in the way that we want them to or expect yeah. them to doesn't mean that they're not taking it in, right? Yeah. And I think it's similar with stories and like just information and like it's you never really know what that internal process is like for right. a young person, but it's happening and you just it have is happening. to trust that it yeah. is. Yeah. 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 And and I mean, I have been at times stunned at mm. the, the young folks who listen to Flyest Fables, yes. you know, because I made it and I know sometimes the themes can be for like older kid things, you know, but I tell them in a way that's still approachable and okay for young kids to hear. And so there have been times I've gotten emails like, hey, can you come talk to my class? And I'm like, mm-hmm. sure. And they're like, you know, the teacher will be like, they're 11th graders. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> you know? Whatever. But I go there and what works for the older the older kids is they love the intricacy that mm-hmm. I put in the stories. They're like, I felt like, I was constantly surprised or I felt like I didn't know this was going to happen. And I thought you were talking about this, but maybe you were talking about these two things. I'm like, maybe we're talking about all of it. Or even when I've seen and spoken to some young, some young kids and there was this, this young teenage boy, maybe like 16, who I would not have pegged as a Fly as Fables listener. You know, he was, he put off, you know, that air of I'm becoming a man, you know, and mm-hmm. was like very much into what society says a, a male and a masculine person should be and behave. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, before I left, he was like, I just want you to know that I like your stories because I can feel them. And I was uh, like, oh my God. <laughs> like, like well, okay, great. Feedback. That is fantastic because... You are exactly the type of young person I would want to know that you can feel your feelings. Mm. And I'm glad it helps kind of create that space. So um, all of that to just kind of agree with what you're saying, that they they take in these stories and we won't always get the reaction we expect, but trust that the reaction is happening. Yeah. And, and trust the strength of the story or the music enough to to cause a reaction of some sort. And I have an idea of the reaction I, I'm going for, mm. but being okay with letting that young person feel however they feel about it. Yes, you have built me a beautiful segue. Let's <laughs> talk about Flyest Fables. Can you sure. tell listeners who are probably very curious now <laughs> what it is? And yes. uh, I'd love to hear kind of like the story of coming to making that work. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, so Flyest Fables is an interconnected uh, collection of stories. I call them hope punk fables. I did not come up with the term hope punk. Um, that is another person. and uh, But I am forever grateful to them for doing so. And, mm. and hope punk is this idea of recognizing hardships in the world, recognizing that things can get dark and scary mm. sometimes, but mm. understanding the internal strength of one person standing up for what's right, continuing to be that light in the darkness and how that light attracts other light and what it means to fight against odds that seem insurmountable without buying into the fact that they are insurmountable. Mm. Um, and and kind of going, that. you know, like going back to this idea of everything is made up. And so oh gosh, it, yeah. it exists because we agree. 
You know, like <laughs> we said, oh, this is the thing we all do. And so everyone says, yes, this is the thing we do. But someone had to have that idea and then others yeah. had to buy into it. And so um, I oh, kind of think of just playing I, pretend all the time, all day long. Like we mm-hmm. pretend to gender every day. And, and mm-hmm. some of that is like, I'm just no gender, you know. So um, but it, it is a, it's a collection of hope punk fables um, that center a lot of black and brown kids um going through struggles in their daily life so there is a modern external world and so every episode every two to three episodes you meet a new character like in season one there's Antoine who Mm -hmm. is being bullied in school and you know he he's fleeing from his bullies and he goes through this fence and he's suddenly in this park he's never seen before and he goes over that fence every day running from the bullies so he's like what is this (laughs) like where am I and in this park on a bench is this book and he looks at it. It has his name on it. And he's like, how is there this book with my name on it? What's mm-hmm. going on? Uh, and he feels called and pulled into reading the book. And so he does. And as he begins reading the book, the story and the audio shifts into this fantasy world where we meet Princess Keisha, who is being trumpeted and heralded off on this journey to help save her mother, who is known as the Queen of Stories. Mm-hmm. And so throughout the series... Throughout the rest of season one and into season two, you get a new external character every two to three episodes, but the internal structure of the fantasy story continues and stays the same. And you have some overlap in the external characters. Like they they pass the book on to another person. So at Mm. the end of Antoine's story, you know, he's gained whatever message he was supposed to get from it. And the book then writes a new name on the cover. Mm-hmm. And he knows this person. And it's this, this homeless guy he gives sandwiches to named Marcus. And he's like, okay, Marcus, I guess this is yours. And Marcus is like, what is this? But when Marcus begins reading the book, the story it tells is a story he needs to hear in that moment for his life, but it is still a continuous story with the fantasy world. And, and I use music. Um, I, it's all vocally done, uh, all the music, because I'm like, I do not have a guitar. I, I played the saxophone, the French horn, all that stuff when I was younger. That but- is no joke. <laughs> it's like today you can have my vocals and I'll layer them. Um, but I each episode... Uh, a series of episodes has a theme that the characters are struggling or working with and the the external story and the internal story parallel thematically, but they're two very different stories. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantasy story with, with characters from, I don't know, worlds I make up in my mind who are struggling against a force that they think is bigger than themselves, but find the strength to continue pushing for what they know is right based on their internal strength, but the strength of the people around them. Uh, This idea that we are not individuals amongst uh, like unto ourselves, like we are sure we're we're individuals, but we are part of a collective. And what can we do collectively? Mm. How can we join collectively for for the better for the betterment of, of everyone, I guess. Um, and and I made it because, you know, I loved fantasy growing up. I love fantasy. I love video games. I was all into that stuff. But finding a fantasy book where I could be like, man, these characters are like me, whether they were black or like at that time, you know, young black girls or trans folks or queer folks or anything of that nature was almost impossible to find in fantasy until I started getting much older. Like I'm talking in my mid twenties and and like fantasy that was being promoted and respected having queer characters. And Mm -hmm. I wanted young people 
to have a space where they would have these stories. I, and, and part of it is me writing stories that my younger self wanted. And I also started making Flyest Fables because I was looking for a book for my nephew. And I was like, I cannot find a single book for my nephew that speaks to young black and brown kids in a modern world, in a modern way with stories that they can relate to without making that the entirety, again, of the story. Like, so I have black and brown characters, but they're black and brown characters. This every episode isn't like, I'm black. Let's go talk about the struggle. It's like, I'm black. Mom's mad at me. And like, she's talking to me in the way that black kids will recognize black moms talking. (laughs) But it is still also you know, a a paternal, a parental figure who is also just disciplining their child. So it's Mm. not, um, again, it's, it's finding a way to incorporate these characters so that young people can recognize that what the world tells them is most important about who they are, isn't necessarily always true. And then Mm. telling them stories in ways that I hope spark their imaginations and, and, and make them picture scenes in their minds, but connect with them musically as well, without condescending to them. I don't believe in condescending to young people. I believe in assuming they can achieve, <laughs> if that makes yes. sense. Assuming they can understand and then being willing to talk to them further if they have questions. Mm, yeah, beautiful. I want to just like point out that the kind of like t- dual structure of the podcast itself is just like such smart creativity. I think like, <laughs> and also really hard. Like that is like two story structures that are working, like layering on top of each other <laughs> is a hard thing to achieve and make look easy. So like props to you on that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because like, I mean, you're creating two worlds and you're figuring out how to navigate them through a different lens every couple of episodes. Yeah. So you're having to really make it's I, I think something that's really interesting about that is that like you're introducing the listener to their pov their point of view character mm-hmm. and getting them comfortable with that character yeah. and then shifting it on them and yeah. like <laughs> which is like really cool and smart and like a little uncomfortable for a listener <laughs> but like but like in a challenging way, right? Yeah. Like like you can't just necessarily like sit back and like listen in like a you know a zoned out like autopilot kind of way. And I and I think that that's something that's like also interesting about audio stories too, because there's something about it that's like I'm listening to this in my car, or washing my and dishes. your brain just like starts drifting. Or you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? Oh, I got to rewind it. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. And so keeping, especially kids like you know in that attention span of like Mm -hmm. getting them to you know engage and interact and like really tune in I think that's a really smart way of doing it of like I'm going to give you like a little bit of comfort here of like three episodes with this one character Uh that I hope you're falling in love with and and developing an emotional connection to and then oh just kidding we're gonna leave that character (laughs) yeah yeah and that's part of the reason that I I kept the story internally the mm-hmm. same, yeah. you know, and, and in season two, we see Princess Keisha kind of come back. And mm-hmm. in season three, I'm going to, you know, my plan is to shrink the world a bit, recognizing that I am making art for young people, mm-hmm. not saying that they cannot encompass and hold all of that, that massive world yeah. I'm building in their brain. But it's like, I know I need to give them touchstones back. Like, hey, yeah. remember this character? They're back and they're mm-hmm. still important um, because 
I I do recognize that I'm like, yeah, you fell in love with Antoine. You fell in love with Marcus. You know, I'm giving you all these great characters. Um, and so it's like, how do I make sure I continue to give them those characters in mm-hmm. some way? And that's that's through the passing, the interconnectedness on the external world of Marcus still seeing Antoine sometimes. And in future episodes and future seasons, I, you know, this isn't a spoiler in any way, I don't think. Um, you know, Marcus will have his own bakery. And guess mm-hmm. who's always coming in for free donuts? Antoine, you know? Yeah, and so stop. you'll hear those moments in the background mm-hmm. of other characters that I have introduced do so it's like they're still there they're still very much connected with one another and the world that i'm continuing to build and all the Mm. external characters are connected because they're all connected through the story of this book Mm. and this book giving them the story they needed at that time um and i think that also is just me recognizing how much books really kind of saved my life as a kid because they Mm. gave me somewhere else to go that wasn't my own head and it's like how do i recreate that an audio for for young people and you know going from one character to another externally to the internal fantasy world within the book um recognizing that i need to keep it alive with the audio i don't i don't like to overdo audio i don't like to make it too busy is how mm-hmm. it in my mind i'm like there's too much sound effects happening yeah. i want to give just enough for the kid to be able, the person listening to be able to build some of that in their own minds. I'm like, I'm gonna give you the outline again. I'm gonna give you some splashes of color, but what you do with that paint after I drop it, <laughs> these mm-hmm. outlines, that's on you. And I, 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 what I love so much about audio is that I know no one person is gonna envision the audio world I created the way I did or the mm-hmm. way another person did. And each person is going to envision that kingdom differently, gonna mm-hmm. envision Antoine's world differently, but we're grounded with the characters. So I, the characters are, I think, the most important part. Yeah, the the things that it's kind of bringing up for me are like the way that I feel about the worlds of like Adventure Time and Steven Universe. Like these really, really complex fantasy worlds that we navigate over time. And like, yeah, yeah. those touchstones that you're talking about and these worlds that like are so whimsical and like very imaginative but are I mean you're building it one through audio but like also through a very particular lens which is yours and Mm -hmm. I think that that is I mean I think we need more versions of that (laughs) right (laughs) I mean that's that's what all of this is coming to is like we just need more cool people making cool work that (laughs) that like has like the like black and brown and trans perspectives and like that is you know allowing I don't know what I was going to say there but (laughs) but like I think the thing that I keep coming back to is that like podcasts and audio are such an intimate format Mm -hmm. as well like Mm -hmm. I am literally in your ears right now like in your brain (laughs) and like the there's such an advantage to that that like is I think books get close to it because like when I, uh, same as you, like I was an avid reader as a kid, especially fantasy. And like, because it was, it was, there wasn't a visual element to it. I was able to create those worlds really distinctly in my Mm -hmm. head and audio, I think is even takes it a step further because it's just, it's it like, the words are in I don't know how to describe it. How do you this I have such a hard time yeah, describing no, it, the texture of audio. It's hard to 
to describe, you know, and especially when someone has a voice that you kind of just want to lean into, mm. like what it is like. Um, and in some ways, I think it becomes more of just an internal mental thing, but it mm-hmm. can become almost a full body experience because you do have that voice. Um you know, I've had moments where I've been listening to a podcast and the way that they sound design something, I, I got the chills from it. Mm. And I was like, oh, that was that was nice in a way that I get the chills sometimes when I listen to a, a song and they hit a certain chord and I did not hear that coming. The change was done in such a way that my brain was like, well, what is this? I'm awake now. And I think audio gives us the ability to constantly wake up our audience in different ways. And I'm, I'm always thinking you know, how do I wake up the ears of my audience right now? How do I wake up the ears of this this young person right now? How do I give them enough for them to be intrigued? You know, how do I drop these breadcrumbs that pay off for them later for the young people who are able at that point in life to pay attention, really pay attention to what's happening, but not in a way that leaves behind the young people who are not at a point where they're paying attention in that way or who might never pay attention in that way. It's like, how do I still make sure they both get a great story that speaks to them. And then for the young people who might be like, oh my God, no, the muffin's back or whatever, you know, I, I dropped in, in into the episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, now I'm just talking, so. <laughs> yeah, and I think like something that I find really interesting about audio too, like from a trans perspective mm-hmm. is like introducing kids to like trans vocal quality as well. Yeah. And like, I don't know, do you... Are, uh, just to clarify, are you the mm-hmm. one who like does all of the? Yeah, I do. Okay, cool. I do all uh, all the character voices. Cool. I do all of them. Um, and I think you make a good point because I I can still hit a register that folks assume is feminine, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because of the socialization I had growing up. If it's just the way my voice is, I mm-hmm. I don't know, or it, maybe it's just a comfort being heard in a voice that you know, could be more feminine than what folks assume my voice is now, the person attached to my voice now, if that makes makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't have, you know, the research background to really understand <laughs> what's happening there. I'm sure other more expertise, people with more expertise in, like, vocal quality. But, like, from the little that I know, I'm guessing it's just muscle memory, right? Because like you know, our, that's, a, our, that's a good idea. Because <laughs> our vocal cords and our throat and our larynx, those are all, I mean, I guess our larynx mm-hmm. isn't technically a muscle. But, like, your vocal cords are a muscle, right? And yeah. so, like, your voice, yeah, the socialization is a part of that, but also, mm-hmm. like, your vocal cords have done that before. And yeah, you, they, you've they're had... used to going up here, and I can talk up here if I need to. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, like, it's subtle, and, like, that's not, like, I don't know, I think of, like, you know, typical, like, T-voice or, like, mm-hmm. or like yeah. trans women who retrain themselves to speak in a higher register. Like, that is, like, a thing about trans vocal quality that, a child might not like, you know, is definitely not going to like understand. Like, I don't get what's but, happening here, but I like it. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's different. Like, and there's something about the quality of trans people's voices that is unique mm-hmm. and that that I think is important to think about when we're talking about trans people and audio and podcasts, because we're yeah. talking about texture and we're talking, you know, going back to your point before of like, how do we express emotional quality through our vocalization and through audio format? And I think that, you know, exposing young people to just different types of oh, voices yeah. is a I big part of that I think all voices are too. beautiful. It's yeah. part of what I think about when I, even when I book 
you know, I work um, in public radio. And mm-hmm. so when I'm looking for guests, I am always kind of in my brain about do not let yourself fall into the bias of what you think this person should sound like. Mm. Um, and that can go across so many different areas. If you, if I, you know, because there is this term in audio that I really don't like, mm. but it's like, oh, they're a good talker. They've got a good voice for mm. radio. They've got a good, and I'm like, well, if we're supposed to be telling the stories of the people or, or giving these or creating the space for people to tell their own stories, we can't gatekeep people's voices because mm. then we're gatekeeping people and the things they have to share and the perspectives that, you know, they were born into or come from because dialects as well. Um, you know, there's a reason, sadly, that I don't think we hear as many elderly people as we should on public radio, because mm. sometimes older people talk slower. Sometimes their voices warble. But I'm like, there's history in that warble. Like we should yeah. we should be listening to that. And we cannot get the folks that we project our audio to sometimes audiences of millions of people to be, get to the point where they're like, yeah, that's a good voice or, you know, and, and, and accept that everybody's voice is a good voice and that everybody has a story that we can hopefully share if they're not like a terrible person or racist or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, how do we create that space so that we get rid of this idea that this person is a good talker or part of my mm-hmm. job? is to create the space where they feel comfortable enough to talk freely um, and, and to create that sense that you can talk at the pace you need to talk. My job is to make sure it gets edited in a way that your dignity stays intact and we don't destroy your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that you bring that up because it, it is important in, in the trans lens. And I think in the lens of, you know, considering folks who are older, folks who speak with different dialects, like their voices are just as important. And I think audio can, especially podcasting, the way it's kind of broken, um, it's made it so public radio isn't the only venue you can get this type of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to changing the way folks assume others should sound. Um, Audio has been democratized. It ha- to to an extent, you know, like I would not be able to do half the things I, I do now if I hadn't been like, I'm going to make a podcast. I'm going to mm-hmm. do audio because you can't tell me no. And now yeah. it's like, oh, I get to work on book proposals or other podcasts for mm-hmm. kids. And it's because I started here first. Mm. Beautiful. Cool. We're getting to the end of our time. Is there anything that we yep. like didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? No, I think we we talked about, you know, kids, which is great, <laughs> which was the purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like talking about voices. I thought that was was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I think I think I think we're good, you know, but <laughs> you OK, know cool. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, then we can wrap up a little bit early. I think people will <laughs> appreciate maybe a shorter episode. Um can you tell the people what you're up to right now and like where to find you and all of those cool things? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can always reach out to me if you go to morgangivens.com. My email address is there. If you have any questions, I regularly talk to students in classes from like pre-K through high school. So if you're a teacher who's like, come talk to my kids about podcasts. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I've had teachers um, play fly as fables and teach their their young people about things and have them make their own chapter books. It's really cool to see the art that Mm. they come up with after listening. Um, But I'm on Twitter for now at optimist underscore Mo. Um, But other than that, you can just reach out to me by my website or, you know, 
give a listen to Fly's Fables and you can reach out at fliesfables at gmail.com and I'll get back to you for sure. <laughs> Beautiful. Do you have any other like projects in the works that you want to? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see when they come out because projects in the works, right? Um, uh, yeah. But I, I am currently working um, on a book proposal for Fly's Fables that my yes, agent is I was going to ask you if you were working <laughs> on a book. <laughs> I am. My agent, my agent is hopeful. They put the, uh, uh the lit industry can be a bit a bit rough, but we'll see. They're yes. going to do their best, and they they mm. really believe in Fly's Fables. Um, really love the show, so I think having them be that into it will be helpful. Um, I'm currently in the process of writing my memoir. Mm. Uh, my first rough draft should be finished by mid June, and then I get oh to go my edit it. <laughs> we get to chop it around. Um, <laughs> I'm working on another kids podcast. Um, which I'm very excited about um, from a company called Kinetic Entertainment. Um, they're headed by Diana Williams, mm. uh, who used to work at Lucasfilms. Um, mm. So she's been really great. And I'm really excited about the kids show that we're working on. Cool. And I'm very excited for folks to hear it. And, you know, I will be dropping the season finale of Fias Fables for season two in the, in the next month or so. It's taken me a while to get it out. And then, you know, season three will start in, in the wintertime. So Beautiful. that's it. <laughs> Amazing. No, I, I love making sure that like people know what's coming up with creatives because it's just, yeah. it's such, it's, you know, the going between like making stuff and then like putting it out into the world, the conveyor belt of it all is just like so disconnected. Yes. Yes. And I have to, I've, I've gotten better. The reason it's even taken this long for the season finale of Flies Fables to come out is because I've tried to be better about making the art because it's time for it to be made and not because I feel like I am on this weird schedule. Yep. And I'm like, no, the people who love the show are, are going to listen. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And I cannot make my best work if I'm exhausted and I have burned myself out before. Mm -hmm. And it took me two years to recover. Like I literally just recovered this Oh my year, gosh. So. Yeah. I, uh, we're, yeah, absolutely. I like, I wrote my book and like was just yeah. so burnt out and depleted uh -huh. creatively. And, and then Mars went into retrograde and, <laughs> <laughs> and I like have, I think like maybe the last month I've started to be creative again after yeah. like, like nine plus months of not being oh, yeah. able to do anything and like my creativity right now isn't even in like writing books or like doing cool <laughs> stuff it's in like making social media posts and i'm like that is hey, what i'm you capable gotta of start, right now so if that is if that is what you can do that is what you can do and that is more than okay because exactly. sometimes you know you gotta stop like why am i why do what is this rush coming from exactly. why am where is this this rush coming from I'm like i don't need to rush exactly and i think like i can breathe I don't know. I, I guess I'm just going to keep rambling on this. <laughs> but uh, even though we technically we've theoretically wrapped up. Um, but like, I think I also like am in the middle of changing muses to get like really? philosophical about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think I've done like a lot of healing over the past mm. couple of years. And yeah. I think a lot of my work up to this point has been about like healing my inner child specifically. Mm -hmm. And like, I feel like I've kind of like. My inner child isn't like 100% fully healed because who but is ever? But they're doing all right. <laughs> but I think they're doing okay. And now I'm kind of like, oh, like I was using my art to heal my inner child. And now that's like kind of been fulfilled to yeah. an extent. And now I'm kind of like, 
oh no <laughs> who am i writing for now <clears throat> like 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 to heal myself to like what is the purpose of it now like who yeah. is it for and i'm in the middle of like asking those questions and shifting as like my career it's exciting it's also just kind of like what am i doing like i have (laughs) am i on the right track exactly this feels weird exactly (laughs) and i've got like all of these like like ideas and like Mm -hmm. things that i want to make but like the making of them is just so hard right now right i'm like this is such a cool thing but i'm like i don't know how to dive in yet because i don't know who it's for so i don't know just uh that's real no i mean that's that's real like i think a lot of my work is is for my inner child too Mm -hmm. you know i think that's part of fly is fables Mm -hmm. is like being like you're okay you're safe let's 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 vibe like you know yeah. or whatever like over and over and over in a bunch of different ways so i completely understand how that can be a very strong creative force and i can get a sense of it being a bit destabilizing creatively when yeah. that part of you is like i'm good man and you're like wait what like how but i'm a creative person it's like yeah you are but what do you want to talk about now and it's like oh no oh no <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. That 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 would be an interesting place. Scary, fun, exciting, and also like exhausting. Yeah. All at all at one time. So, all of the above. <laughs> um, while we're on this conversation about Muse, before we wrap up sure. for for real, who did you make Fly's Fables for? Oh, I made I made Fly's Fables initially for my nephew Mason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is seven now. He turned seven this past January. But when I made it for him, Mason was two years old. And I remember when I was making it, folks were like, he's two. He's not, I'm like, he's going to grow up. Like, what do you people mean? And so, you know, that's, that's why Antoine is the first character we meet Mm. because I was thinking, thinking of my nephew and, you know, even a lot of the stories that I write in for it, like I'm, I'm thinking of all young people, but Outside of my own internal child that I'm I'm working with now in partnership with like, hey, we got this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm also writing these stories mainly because, you know, death comes for us all at some point. Mm-hmm. And my brother is a fantastic father. His, Mason mm-hmm. has great, wonderful parents. He's surrounded by love, like from everyone. You know, we we just love and lift him up. But um it's like what what stories can I leave him that will be in his brain that can help create some of, I don't know, that can help him understand the world outside of the way the world teaches him to understand it. Mm. Um, How do I create stories that he will always have, you know, when we're gone, that even if he's not thinking of the stories, the messages are inside of him somewhere. You know, and how can I create them in a way that he knows he can go lean on those stories and also that, you know, it, it preserves my voice for him, mm. um, but preserves these stories for him as well. And the way these stories are told, the themes in them, the things I care about, the things that I find important are also things that my my younger brother, who is Mason's father, cares very deeply about as well. And so it's it's like, what, what can I leave him um, for when when I'm gone. Oh, no, now my phone ringing. My grandma's calling me. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Morgan's grandma. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll call her back. Can you hear that? I feel like you can hear just that. For, yeah, me... just for like a second. It was kind of going in and out. Um, I'll remind her in five minutes. There we go. But uh, 
Yeah. So I, I make it, I make flies fables mm. for Mason. Mason Thomas. <laughs> uh, I love that. That's really beautiful. And I think I loved what you were talking about with like leaving like a legacy as well. I think that that's something that trans people don't think about because we don't think about living for very yeah. long. We're, we're, we're so, you know, the world makes it so we're always just having to figure out how to stay alive. Yeah. Um, that I'm really trying to lean into this idea of living. Mm-hmm. Um because I am in a place where I can do that. I live in a, a fairly safe city for trans folks. It's not uh, fairly safe. Is context. any city it's, safe for trans people? Yeah, at this it's point? DC, yeah. you know, but I also have the benefit of folks thinking that I'm a cis head guy, you know, and so there's a, a bit of safety that I have to some extent. And yeah, so sure. I, I try to appreciate that, but recognize that maybe that comes with some additional work that I can do on behalf of others. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, yeah. You know, <laughs> beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lovely conversation. I am yeah. so excited that we finally got to make Yo, this happen. Me too. <laughs> we, we were trying for a while, so I appreciate you being like chill and flexible. And, oh, and, and, and I'm glad we made it work. I feel like getting on any trans person's schedule is just like a nightmare. Right now. <laughs> Which is great. It's like I'm working 28 jobs and creating five projects, but oh sure. My gosh, for real. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Everybody, of course. check out Fly's Fables, check out Morgan's work in the kids and like adult spaces. <laughs> you do lots of different things, and it's all wonderful and beautiful. All right, that was my conversation with Morgan Givens. You should go check out his work at morgangivens.com. Check out Flyest Fables, wherever you get your podcasts. I highly, highly recommend looking into some of his online storytelling. You can find those videos over on YouTube and probably through his website too. As always, you can follow me at Linz Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R. You can also follow my work at Queer Kids Stuff, at Queer Kids Stuff. Don't forget that members of the Queer Kids Stuff Patreon page can get early and ad-free access to all of our Rainbow Parenting episodes. I also put up the Teddy's Book Club episodes that go up on the Queer Kids Stuff channel. I put those up a little bit early on the Patreon. And we're about to announce some new things for the fall that are going to get priority on the Patreon. So uh, keep an eye out for that. All right, that's it for now. We've got a new episode coming out on Monday where I talk to my mom and my sister about the book. And it's a really good conversation. So uh, just keep an eye on the feed for that. I hope you enjoy and talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzia.